Time is running out for the planet Earth. It's impervious to all voices. There's an intriguing sensation. It's a nuclear device. Fun, fun, fun! Yes, that's nice. Statistically speaking, of course, it's still the safest way to travel. It belongs to a creature from outer space. It's a bird! It's a plane! It's very important. It does not confuse. It's a trap! Hello, everyone, and welcome to an all-new episode of Geek Shell of Herod. I'm Daniel Pickett. I'm Jason Lindsay. And where's Alex? I thought we were... I had talked to him about replacing you. Oh, you did? Yeah, yeah. I see. Oh, yeah, we've been setting it up for a week. Clearly, that didn't go over too well. Surprised that... No, of course not. I've gone over too well with him. As as, as loyalty means everything to that man. <laughs> That's right. Uh, yes. uh, no, he he said he'd love to come back anytime. He had such a such a nice time and uh, found the conversation so fun and stimulating that he says, uh, you know, ask me back anytime. So uh, I think we've got a good response too. I do too. People, yeah, people really seem to enjoy. People it. We're digging it. So. Uh, the door is is open. Hope that and here and here we are. Now we're well into our one hundreds. We're in we're in episode one hundred and one. I hope that that the fans you know appreciate or dig what we what we did do for episode one hundred. There were lots of thoughts floating around, but we chose what we did, and I think it turned out really well. And I hope that uh, that made people happy. Yeah, it was fun. It was a it was a nice beefy episode. It was lots to talk. Yeah, Just almost two hours. It's like when you got two guys that could talk about this stuff till the cows come home, then you throw in a third. <laughs> right, you almost double the time time there. Um, so yeah, it was fun. So it was a nice nice anniversary party. Indeed. Now we're back to business as usual. That's right. Uh, into standard. Uh, episodes with standard uh, bullet points, and as we always do, we start with what we're excited about. Maybe we should just dive right in and. Find All right, I'm ready to what go. Daniel Pickett's excited about. Uh, so for me, I, I was hoping uh, I heard a little bit of wind of this, but I don't think I knew all the details when we did episode 100. But now it has happened. Uh, and that was on April 1st for April Fool's Day over on the Nat Geo channel, the National Geographic channel, they did a thing the evening of the first, uh, they called Total Riff Off, which were the guys uh, formerly of Mystery Science Theater 3000 that are now doing riff tracks, uh, where they actually poked fun of, like, National Geographic shows. So they did... Hello? I'm so sorry. Someone there? Yes, I'm here. I'm sorry. I meant to put my phone on vibrate. Oh, I see. All right. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, you, you know, you don't normally think about National Geographic necessarily having a sense of humor, but, uh, you know, they took some of those shows, those nature shows, and uh, just let these guys go crazy on it. <laughs> and I think they did four or five episodes. I've watched the first two so far, and just a ton of fun, just howling at this stuff. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And uh, I would love to see that become like a regular thing somewhere uh, for those guys. So it was Mike Nelson, Kevin, and Bill, uh, who were the, you know, they were Mike and the bots for the last couple of seasons of Mystery Science and then went on to do their thing at Rift Tracks, uh, riffing on these. And just a, a ton of fun. Really enjoyed it. That's great. Well, you know, I'm friends with, with Mike Nelson, so we could always I do. We could always get him to pop in the show, too, now that we 
now that we know how to get this thing going. Was that him calling just now? That was him calling just now, and I said, Mike, we're busy doing a show. Can you try me back? See if, some other see if we can fit you in. Yeah, we, we worked on a show together, God, almost 10 years ago now, and, um, you know, he's, you know, he, he's, uh, he's kind of one of us. He's, he's not as geeky as, as the rest of us are, but he certainly right. has geek tendencies uh, and certainly was very excited about the Lord of the Rings stuff. <clears throat> so we talked about, we'd always talk about things like that, and um, we've kept in touch over the years, and uh, he'd love to be on the show at some point, too. So that, that would be a fun three-way conversation, too, to get, to get Mike on here and we'll totally do talk that. about all the silly things that happen in pop culture and what his take is. Last time I saw him was, was actually Comic-Con. It was like two years ago at Comic-Con. Okay. And he would, they were down there doing the Rift Tracks thing, but I brought him some of the Lebowski figures because, you know, it's just like he, he knew about this stuff. Like I would talk about it now and then, but then to finally, you know, with enough time, it's great instead of hearing it every single day, if it's like, oh, I heard about it three years ago and look what's happened. And then to finally give him, to actually give him product, he was kind of knocked out that this little dream is actually happening and we're making toys and stuff. Right, right. And he and he gave me tickets. They were doing a live riff tracks thing Saturday night. Did you go to that that night a few years ago? Uh, I have not been to any of the ones at Comic Con, but I've been to a couple of the others that they've done. He gave me a couple that are not around Comic Con. Gave me a couple tickets, and I I couldn't go because I had a previous engagement, so I had to give the tickets away. But well, if he ever gives you more tickets and you can't go, yes, I'm your I'm your first call. Now that I know you're a, a big riffer, I am. Now that I now that I'm aware of that, yes, absolutely. Um, well, that's cool. so how about how about yourself? What are you excited about? This well, week? I guess, um, gosh, you know, these are like wishes every week. You don't want sometimes you want to give a wish away to someone else who's, you know, a poor unfortunate kid or something. I don't know. Um, wishes were horses, beggars would ride. Yes, yes, what he said. Um, uh, well, I guess, can I do two things? Sort of? No, of course you that can. They're both really kind of superficial and silly. One is that I, I did see Captain America, the Winter Soldier, last night. Yes. Which was cool. Which, and I, which we're very excited leading up to very it. Very excited. I thought it was great. Not perfect. Uh, I could certainly uh, nitpick here and there, but I think it is one of the, and I've only seen it once now, so I'll probably see it again, but I do think it's one of the best Marvel movies they've done so far. It's got to be right up there in the top top four, um, and it, it it is as good as, if not better than, you know, improving in ways uh, than than the first one. And I love the first one, uh, you know, the right. first Avenger. Great Easter eggs, great little guest spots, um, fun twists and turns. And yes, they did make it feel very much like a <clears throat> early seventies conspiracy thriller, like you know, trust no one kind of thing. And it's a great, what's smart about it is, I I didn't mention this before when we talked about it before, before we even saw it, but having seen it, it's so smart to put generally in those types of things, your, your, your guy that's thrown into the mix of that is like your everyman, you know, like your, your Cary Grant in some of the, uh, the Hitchcock movies or Redford in some of those movies where it's like, he's, you try to identify with him as this everyman that's sort of, catching up to what's going on around him. The sure. the fun riff on that is Captain America is pretty astute. He's pretty like like he's he's a, he's a boy scout, yeah, and he wants to think the best, 
But not only has he become jaded by war and jaded by this new world that he's sort of inherited, which makes him more alert, uh, he's, he's, he's already, it's almost like he's got heightened senses like a Wolverine or a Spider-Man, even though they never talk about that. But he's – you know what I mean? Like if somebody, if somebody walks up to him and uh, this, isn't an, this is nothing to do with the movie, but I'm saying if someone were to walk up to him you know, with a certain scent on them, whether it's, you know, uh, axle grease or booze or whatever it was, he could, he could pick up on it like a, like a, like a hound dog would. Okay. You know what I mean? Like he's got those, those heightened abilities. And so you find him in this movie constantly looking around the room and observing. And and I just got to say, I've said it before, but I got to say it again. Chris Evans is wonderful in this, in this part. And it's not as showy as a Robert Downey Jr. or some of the other characters, but He's a damn good actor, and I've seen a ton of stuff that he's done, like a, a lot of his other movies that no one uh, has seen because they went nowhere. He's right. a really good actor. Um, yeah. But, you know, you don't get to – you don't necessarily get people walking away thinking that watching these Captain America performances because Cap is kind of two-dimensional. Well, sure. He's not he's, – he's haunted, but he's not haunted like an alcoholic or like – you know, uh, with rage issues or whatever. So, but they've managed to find something more for him to do and get more excited about or be more interesting. Um, and he's just, just great. It's the best thing that he's done so far, I think. Uh, so yeah, you'll, you'll see it and we'll talk about it. And, um, you know, yeah, the, there was a, a big article, I think in variety mm. uh, last week, kind of talking about, how he doesn't want to be doing this forever and how they were trying to, when they, they signed him to do the first one, they were trying to get him to do nine pictures yeah. and he got him down to six. Yeah, that's right. But he likes that, you know, because of the notoriety and the, and the fame that these sort of things bring him, he's able to do some of the other projects that he really wants to do. Some of the smaller or independent things. And I guess he just directed uh, a short also himself. Well, he just directed a feature. I think that was like this, uh, you know, it's kind of a romantic comedy sort of thing about him, you know, missing a train or something, and then these people fall in love. But, but he was saying that that it was, he was trying to say that after 2017, 2017 or 2018, which, whichever project that was, either another Avengers or the third Cap or whatever it was, he was saying something like, "Don't be surprised if that's the last you know you see of me." So I can get right. behind the screen. But then, like two days later, he kind of backtracked and said. Of course not. You know, I love I love acting. I love performing. It's just that there are other things that I want to do and and direct and everything. But he said, but I'm also not stupid enough to not be aware that these big time projects I'm doing are allowing me to do those other things. Oh, okay. I don't know that I saw. Yeah, that. if I can dip back and do this and this, then I can go and make make something small. But he just seems like a really smart guy, and so ahead. and he gets the value of of all this stuff, and he's. He's really good in it. The other thing I'm excited about is many, 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 many episodes ago, I talked about finding a holy grail for Battle of the Planets, a a British toy, a laser rifle in a Battle of the Planets box by Crescent Toys in the UK. I got this thing. It was a decent price. You, know, you, you just cannot find this thing. You know, it pops up once every 25 years. And right. it was sent off from London, and it was sent airmail, and then it somehow got back to him, 
and then it was sent surface and two two and a half months went by and we basically kept tabs on it tried to find it no tracking number no luck we basically sent up the flag like it's not going to show that's it goodbye and uh and the guy that sold it to me he refunded me uh every that apologized up the yang yang i said no hard feelings but goodbye goodbye crescent battle of the planets laser rifle and guess what showed up yesterday over the fence no kidding yeah two and a half months later battered and bruised <laughs> off of off a boat the uh the laser rifle showed up wow finally got it and it showed up and and you got it for free it that's free. The best. that's the best part of the whole thing is you know getting it for free i mean yeah really sticking it to that guy can't beat that i mean let's see why i should have to suffer if uh it didn't show up no of course not i'm already in touch with the fella and i'm gonna send him his payment but uh but that's a nice little bit of good news it, it showed yeah, up totally nice yeah so uh, yeah, so that's that's my that's my good news for the week. Excited about. Excellent. Yeah, those those little surprises are the best. Yeah. And you think it's lost forever. Right. And then the magic shows up. Right. Yeah. So uh, in the meantime, uh, since we didn't get to everything in the Alex Ross episode, between that episode and the time you know between between before that and since. I'm sure each of us has seen a lot of movies and watched a lot of stuff or heard about a lot of stuff, etc. So you want to start with some of those things you've been watching or what you've anything that's that's coming out that you're seeing trailers of or uh gee whiz. Well, I mean the one thing that was kind of exciting news that was announced uh, a little while ago is that uh I guess it was at one of the Disney um like stockholder meetings, they announced that they were going to be making Incredibles 2. Yeah. And Brad Bird was going to be involved in that. Yeah. Uh, and also Cars 3. That's, you know, that's fun, but not as exciting as Incredibles 2. I mean, that that was... You remember that came out, like, right before the first Fantastic Four movie. Yes. And we were all sort of like, well, how do you get better than this? Right. And, and the answer that came back was, you don't. It was... Um... That is such a fun movie. I remember I was at the Oscars that year when that won the uh-huh. best best was it best animated feature? I guess that, that's a category. Yes. And we were hanging in the lobby afterwards. They were usher, ushering us out of there, and suddenly I'm right next to Brad Bird, and he's holding his Oscar. Huh. And I just turned to him and said, "Congratulations, man! Oh, thank you so much." I said, "That was the best movie of the year, hands down. Like it was better than anything else that got nominated. It's like, oh, thank you, man. Thank you so much. That's that's really cool. But it was. I think it was the best thing. You know, better than than any of the other, you know, live action movies that were nominated. Yeah, it was like fantastic that thing. And very yeah, oh. I thought that my wife had never seen it before. So uh, we watched it. The three of us just I think about a week or so ago finally. And. She loved it. She was utterly charmed by it. Right? She knew she knew exactly why we Paige and I loved it so much. And it's kind of adult. It's kind of got that adult tone, right? Cause yeah, yeah. People die and, you know, bad things happen and Yeah. You know, but it's uh it holds up very very well. So, I'd love to go back to that world. Totally, yeah. And there's plenty more to see, you know, just outside of the family and stuff mm-hmm. too, so. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was good. Uh the have you seen the uh the trailer for the 
the CG Peanuts movie? You know, I saw a bit of it. It was like in a news story, and I saw some of it, but I haven't seen the whole beginning-to-end trailer. It's pretty short. It's just it's like a little teaser thing. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, they're, they're making a, a movie, Peanuts, the Charles Schultz comic strip. Nice. And it's, it's CG. Okay. His whole, his whole family is involved. I think there's four Schultzes that are, that are working on it. Okay. And, you know, it's supposed to be very much in the vein of, like, the, the holiday specials and such. And, and people were pretty split by it. I thought it looked interesting. Right. You know, I've never been a huge Peanuts fan. You know, I love the Christmas special and the Thanksgiving special. And after that, it's sort of like, you know, like the comic strip I read a ton as a kid. But then at some point I sort of realized, you know what, this isn't that great. Are they just not looking at, they're not, they're not liking the depiction, the way they look in this thing? Yeah, I think they, they don't, people don't think they should be sort of 3D. Ah. Even though they're sort of a 3D, 2D look, I feel like. Okay. You know, they're they're very textured and, you know, people get upset about things. I see. I understand. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess the whole, I suppose you could kind of get uptight about the whole 3D aspect itself with Peanuts because it, it is such a 2D property and you just think of it in, the, in, the, in those terms. But that leads us to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle thing. Uh, this is a world that you inhabit. Sort of. <laughs> Are you saying I live in a sewer? Saying you, you live in a sewer and you're, you're, you're part turtle. But no, what I mean is you're not one of these people that like collects every single turtle thing and watches every single turtle thing. You have specific likes you know, in that arena, but you've been with it for a very, very long time. So Since the beginning, yeah. You probably have a nostalgia for the live-action movies that have come before. Uh, you know, even though you you strike me as someone that can find the the good or the positive in each iteration, you know what I mean? You can say, "Ooh, I don't like the way they depicted them, but the stories were actually written better," or "I like the way they did the suits, but the scripts were shit," or whatever. Right, uh, right. So with with this whole thing, this um, this new movie, which is is it this summer or is it not, when is it coming out? You know, I, I'm not even sure. I think uh, it's either the the end of this year or early next year. But this is a live action. Are these are they CG or are they combinations? They, yes. No, they're completely so CG. completely CG, and then live actors, um, you know, on on the set. And I think they just announced some voice work. Who are they getting for voices to do these guys? Yeah. So actually, uh, you know, they cast these actors to be the turtles, and they sort of thought they were going to be. The voices, too, but they just announced that Tony Shalhoub is going to be Splinter, the rat, who's their, you know, their teacher. Okay. And then uh, Mr. Jackass himself, Johnny Knoxville, is going to be Leonardo, the, the leader of the Turtles. Okay. That's, it. So, that's all they got so far. That's that's all I've heard that they've announced so okay, far. Okay, but they the, have, they've the shown voice. what they physically are going to look like as well. Yeah. So give me your. So we got to we got to see a little bit of it at at uh, Toy Fair, but we're sworn to secrecy and couldn't bring any cameras or anything. A lot of stuff had leaked around that time, but now the first teaser trailer is out, so you actually get to see them speak and and move a bit. And uh, and what's your take so far? Uh, you know, I agree with with most of the feedback that it's strange that they appear to be larger than human sized. 
Okay. Uh, that that's a little unnerving, and you know the the faces are you know kind of strange. They've got like nostrils and lips and stuff, uh, and and they that just to me makes them not feel very turtle like. You know, mm-hmm. they feel like they're sort of big bald green guys that happen to have shells. But you know, I, I'm I'm willing to give it a a try. Uh-huh. I'll 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 take a look at it, but. Uh, and I'm, you know, I'm certainly interested to see more. But you know, I think uh, I think I did speak about it once before, just kind of the, you know, the the design concept that you know they're supposed to be ninjas and they've got like all this like beading and you know like sunglasses around their neck and stuff. It's just like that doesn't seem very stealthy to me. That that seems like a, a flaw in the in the concept. Aren't they trying to blend in with where, where are they? L.A. New York. Aren't they trying to blend in with uh, the locals, kind of? Well, I don't. Can you blend in if you're like a seven foot tall turtle? Well, in Manhattan, you can. Anybody can blend in. Okay. Well, honestly, so maybe it won't matter. I don't know. So, so yeah, it's uh, you know, there's a lot of people that have just completely written it off yeah. already. Yes. Uh, there are. There's a, a thing that started circulating this week where someone photoshopped two of the images of the turtles and just changed sort of from the the mask down mm-hmm. to, to a more sort of what we know is a classic sort of look for the face, and a lot of people really dug that. We know we're not going to get that. Right. You know, that that's a sale. Right. But, you know, uh, it's it's produced by Michael Bay. It's got uh, Megan Fox in it, so I, I have a feeling it's going to be right there hmm. amongst the Transformers films. So if you dug those, you'll probably dig this. I, it was interesting. They had been calling it Ninja Turtles all along. Uh, and, you know, sort of saying that was going to be the name of it. But in this teaser trailer, they did say Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, they changed so. it back finally. They did, oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. I thought the whole Megan, I thought she was sort of persona non grata for a long time. Like, I thought I thought that... Because she called Michael Bay Hitler? Yeah, I thought that was, she, she was done. And also that she was kind of past her sell-by date for fans. Like, weren't people already sick of her? I don't know. Maybe not. Yes, but she's back. She's April O'Neil. All right. Well, good for April O'Neil. Yeah. And they, they, you know, the other thing that kind of came out in the trailer is uh, sort of a change in the backstory of the Turtles, where by April O'Neil's father, and I guess the guy who is the Shredder, had a hand in the creation of the Turtles. Like, they were actually manufactured to be heroes not you know it wasn't like a freak accident that ties into the daredevil origin like you know the original comic and stuff okay so interesting yeah uh all right well um i've been getting on a bit of a bit of a documentary kick recently man i must have done six or seven or eight documentaries in a week Oh, wow. Just, you know, searching some out and plopping them on the list. Um, uh, Three of them that I wanted to talk about were very, very good uh, and very different. Each is very different. So I thought it might be a nice overview of stuff. I don't know which of these you've seen or plan on seeing. The first one is called 20 Feet from Stardom. That's the one about, like, the backup singer. Yeah, and I I think it won the Oscar for Best Documentary. Yeah, it did. Yeah, um, and it's wonderful. It's it's really good uh, because it's it it puts names to a lot of these faces and voices you've known for years and years and years, 
um, uh, just to kind of, you know, see the kind of work that they do. And, it, and it's, and in many ways it's tragic too, where, where, you know, like that old saying, like, unless you're a lead singer or a songwriter, when it comes to bands or music, you know, you can hover around these people and you can sort of, you can sort of bump into their world for a certain amount of time, but eventually the tour is going to end and you're going to have to go back to getting a job, you know, doing something else. And it's, you know, story after story after story like that, um, culminating in one of the women that, um, uh, you know, that the song Brown Sugar was written for, basically. she I forget her name now, but she was she was a staple of the, the Rolling Stones, you know, touring company. She was dating Jagger. Um but but you and then you get to kind of you know sit with some of these backup singers today while they listen to a track from 1964 or from 72 or whatever and they talk about the session and where that voice came from and how they hit those notes and it just it's just if you if you like music and you're uh, you know you know really anal retentive about the information and how pieces and things come together like that then it's it's a really interesting documentary. Um, and 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 by the time you get to the end of it, there's some stuff at the end that just gives you chills with these women, just the the notes they can hit and uh, the sisterhood that kind of forms from these experiences. Um, but it's it's very good. Uh, oh. The other one is called Salinger, um, and uh, which I thought was about Matt Salinger, the guy that played Captain America in the 1990 right. uh, film. No, I'm ten, 20 minutes into it, and they're talking about some guy, some writer called J.D. Salinger. That's weird. So I spent another two and a half hours getting through it. I'm like, no one talked about Captain America, Red Skull, nothing. But anyway, I ended up watching it. No, it's uh, it's fascinating. It's it's about J.D. Salinger and just the methods of the madness and the uh, being a recluse and just the famous stories of you know the guy from Newsweek that – staked out the post office in 1978 for three days in hopes of getting a photograph and stuff like that. And it's, it's fascinating um, where this guy came from, his experiences during the war, what he chose to write about, and then personal relationships and how it's all kind of intertwined. Um, and, and, you know, just as they're finishing up the, the, you know, he died in 2010. Spoilers. So he, they're finishing up the, the movie while he's, you know, on his way out the door. But it's it's really good. If you've ever, I'm sure we've all read Catcher in the Rye, but if you've ever been curious about his story, this is like the definitive documentary. And also because no one has ever been able to, nor will anyone ever be able to, make a motion picture based on Catcher in the Rye. Right, right. The rights will not, uh, they will not let the rights get out to do that. Uh, and then lastly, the last one uh, is a document I'd heard about from um, from someone who uh, I've known for a long time that's part of Kevin Smith's, uh, you know, web web presence, Fred, a site uh-huh. called Fred, uh, a guy named Ken Plume. He's like one of Kevin Smith's right-hand men on the Internet. He told yeah. me about this a long time ago, and it's a documentary about John Milius. And it's just called Milius. And uh, for those of you who don't know, John Milius was a, a contemporary of Spielberg and Lucas and Brian De Palma and, you know, uh, Robert Zemeckis and all those guys. And he co-wrote or wrote 
the screenplay for Dirty Harry from Magnum Force, for other stuff. The big thing that he co-wrote was Apocalypse Now because he was friends with Francis Ford Coppola. But he's a very different character because he's quite right-wing. Okay. Always, you know, carrying a gun. And uh, you know, you know what he is? The character of Walter. Oh right, the yeah. Big Lebowski. In Lebowski, yep. That is John Milius. Okay. The Coen Brothers. That was the brief between the Coen Brothers and John Goodman was to make it like John Milius, <laughs> which is brilliant. It's really what his character is. But um, but it's a really interesting documentary. It's it's interesting to again go over his body of work. Uh, they talked to Spielberg, Lucas, Schwarzenegger, Sam Elliott, Powers Booth, um, Tom Behrens. I mean, you name it. Everybody's in there that's worked with him in one way or another. Um, and then, you know, what happens to the career and why certain things happened the way they did. Um, but then there's a, a twist in the story that I don't want to tell you about, say anything about. You have to see this thing and you'll go, oh, Wow, where did that come from? Hmm. Um, and it kind of takes it someplace else, and it's very interesting. So th- those three for sure are worthwhile. Okay. Uh, and there's another half dozen that uh, I'll get to next time. But Jeez. yeah, those I've been I've been checking out, and some movies too. But what about you? Have you been seeing other movies besides theatrical stuff? Ah, uh, boy, have I? I can't put my finger on any recently. I've been watching a lot of TV, but... Uh... Did you see Smaug? Yeah, I saw that in the theater. Okay, I finally saw Smaug. Oh, okay. I hadn't seen it in the theater. Uh, finally saw it. It, it, I, it was, you know, like I said, even if you think these are so-so movies, they're still better than 90% of the stuff that gets made. Absolutely. The care and love and and... And patience that goes into these things. It's it's mind blowing. Yeah. Um it did start to kind of lose me a bit when it got to what's that place called? Rivertown or Bartertown? Riff Rivendell? Riven- no, no, not Riv Rivendell's where the elves are, right? Yeah. No, where is it where the humans are and it looks like Oh, oh yeah. It's Lake Town, right? Yes, Lake Town. Yeah. That kind of started to lose me because suddenly we're with Stephen Fry and yeah. his right hand man and they're talking about I don't know. Like, <laughs> wasn't there a part where like Stephen Fry came to the other side of the river and just started, you know, going through houses and stuff, or walking through the city and talking? Yes. Yeah, that whole bit I didn't quite understand. I started to drift. Like, yeah. Like, is this guy going to be a big part of the overall story of, you know, The Hobbit, or is he just a side note in 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 uh, Rivertown? Yeah, to, to fill it out so that we can get three, you know, three films. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you have an answer for that? I don't have an answer for that. I, I do not know. All right. Fair enough. But, uh, you know, it was funny to me. It's like uh, when you read The Hobbit, did you ever imagine the uh, the barrel escape being that action-packed? No. God, no. <laughs> I forgot all about the barrel escape. Yeah. Like, I mean, the Hobbit's a pretty in and out kind of get in, get out, get, get the get the thing. I mean, I love the Smaug thing. I loved when he finally is with the dragon and that whole thing. And it's, yeah. it's incredible, you know. 
but yes, you do get the sense that they're stretching this thing out. <laughs> you know, for three for three stories, that's for sure. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, still cool. I mean, still some cool stuff in there. But yeah, I completely agree. It was, I still still really enjoyed it, and uh, looking forward to the third one. <laughs> Is he going to get out of there? What's going to happen? Well, that's just it. I, I did think there would be more desolation. Right. Oh, good point. Yeah, yeah. There was there wasn't a lot. There was like a soon to be desolation. Right. Yeah. So there wasn't a ton of desolation that we saw in the. I agree. In the piece, there was a great bit. Um, he used the word underhill because he said he said, "Where are you from?" And he said, "Underhill, under a hill." And then the dragon's like, "Where?" And he said, Un- "Under underhill, 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 and far away, or something." Didn't he? Isn't the first time he used the word underhill? I think so. Yeah. And then that became Frodo's alias in um, right in the first in the Fellowship. Uh, yes, that's correct. You know, part of the problem, I think part of the problem that people have with these things, they, the initial one, they had problems with the dwarves being so annoying with all the singing and the eating and the, they're fat and they fall down. And you know, <laughs> um, I think the problem that they're having with this one, or certainly I did, was, you know, uh, Thorin is kind of a dick. Right. He's kind of a dick. I mean, he's he's not a like, this is your sort of hero. Besides Bilbo, Thorin is supposed to be the the haunted, you know, hero that's going to get their lands back and everything, and he's kind of a douchebag. Yeah, yeah. And the tr- the other dwarves don't fare much better. You know, they're kind of, eh, you know, kind of yep. can't trust them. And at the end of the day, what are we doing? Yeah, we want to get your we want to get your town back get this dragon out of here and all the countless lives that have been lost because of this. But what is this all about? This is all about greed. This is all about because you guys dug too deep and too far because it was never enough coins and money and jewels and stuff that all this carnage even came to be. That's right. Because of you greedy little dwarves. Let that be a lesson to you, kids. Let that be a lesson to you all. Kids today looking for your money and your fame. Stop digging so deep. It'll all come crashing down. Don't go chasing waterfalls. <laughs> maybe maybe I'm getting a little off track. That's what they're trying to say. Don't go, well, I, don't, I don't want no scrubs. Did you do that on purpose? Was that really a reference from TLC? I don't know what you're talking about. It was, yeah. No, you remember, remember that in uh, oh, the other guys? Yeah. yeah. Keaton's like, don't want no scrubs. I'm like, was that a reference to TLC? I don't know what you're talking about. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> Um, speaking of television, yes. Well, wait a second. One more movie thing, though, because yes, I think thing? we should talk about yes. uh, Ivan Reichman saying that he's out as director of Ghostbusters. 3. Yeah, after the terrible news, he sort of, you know, got online a day or two after that and said, "No, no, no. The movie is still in play. Uh, don't worry." And then it seemed like a day or two after that, he said, "But not with me." Right. Um, Said he'll still be involved, but he's not directing. Right. So what we're left with is two original Ghostbusters, unless Murray has a change of heart. Yeah. Um, Which he might. I mean, after you know his his nice thing at the Oscars, he might he might get together one more time. You never know. Um, he, uh, but um, if he does, I don't feel like. 
any of them are going to be in the movie for a significant amount of time. No, I think they've already kind of established that. that Which then makes you think, well, if you had to do a dream list, you had to make a dream list of who who the next Ghostbusters would be. And again, you're not trying to find three, four guys that would duplicate what those guys did. You just want right. you know, strong personalities and strong characters. Jerry Eisenberg. Jerry Eisenberg. <laughs> Jerry Eisenberg playing a twin. You know, Jesse. <laughs> yeah, right? Jesse. Oh, he'll be all of them? Jesse Eisenberg playing another part, playing a twin, so he can play twins. Yeah. Uh, oh, it's Jesse, that's right. Who's the, other, who's the girl from um, Who's the girl from Parks and Recreation that talks like a lump? <laughs> oh, uh, who plays April? Yeah, what what's her name? I can't think she's of her name. She's in uh, Scott Pilgrim. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, throw her in there, because already there's just too much charisma with those three performances. Right. Um and then maybe the French guy from The Artist and have him be silent again. Okay. <laughs> Man, you got a team right the there. Perfect team. No no conversation at all. You know, I saw something else online recently about our beloved Indiana Jones. And it was saying, I mean, this is just one of those wacky-dacky rumors that... But by the way, Ernie Hudson would still be on the team, oddly enough. Well, Ernie Hudson would be on the team. You mean our, yeah. our recast team? Yes. Oh, so maybe he would be the guy leading the leading the yeah. youngsters. He's he's still you know he's not gonna he's not gonna walk away. From right. Um, Sorry, Indiana Jones. Indiana Jones. This is something that's been been uh, thrown around here and there. I don't know some of these rumors. You know, some of these guys that get these rumors and go on these special sites. I mean, they they, they sometimes I'm sure have some really tight information. And it gets out there, and maybe you know twenty percent of it ends up being true. But sometimes you hear and read stuff that you just go, I don't know where you would get that detailed information yeah. from. It does that. But they're saying that Harrison Ford allegedly really wants to do one more Indiana Jones, and he, they want to do it fast. But they're giving it an end date, saying if they can't get to it by this date, it's not going to happen with Harrison Ford. For various reasons, so it's you know chop chop. We want to do this thing. Then you know the follow up story to that is who would the candidates be to replace? Because you know that whatever whatever's going to happen within the next ten years, there's no way they're not going to reboot that franchise. Oh, totally. And so I guess if I want to have an open mind about things, I could go. Well, you know they did it for Bond over and over again. I guess why? why you know, I suppose they could do that with Indiana Jones. Then the difference being, he kind of, you know, he didn't create the character, but it was sort of born out of him, you know, for the first time. Whereas Bond was this literary character that existed in Sherlock Holmes and things like that. But this is kind of a specific case. This is a character in a film that um, was was a first time thing. Uh, so they, they're already talking about replacements and how it would go and who it would be. And the, the name that keeps getting thrown around, and it's making me crazy, is Matthew McConaughey. Oh, I hadn't heard that one, actually. And then I heard another rumor that somebody was trying to do or roll around a possibility for a Butch and Sundance remake with Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson. Huh. They just have to be in everything together now? Yeah. Yeah. I thought they were going to do uh, Luke and Owen Wilson for that. For which one? <laughs> Butch and Sundance. 
Yeah, that, you know, that might that might be kind of interesting. Not yeah. bad, but there's no way it's not just going to be a a, a, a send up. You know, it's not going to be a piss take. There's just no way. Yeah. And you know, Bush and Sundance had some dramatic stuff in it, but yeah. Um, so people started making these lists of who could be Indiana Jones. Uh, Matthew McConaughey tops the list. I thought someone might be good to be someone like a, a Timothy Oliphant. Oh, sure. Would be good, you know? Yep, yep. But it also has to be someone that's not not drop-dead attractive. I mean, Harrison Ford's a good-looking guy, don't get me wrong, but he's got that scruffiness and those, those flaws to his face. It should be someone that's kind of, you know, been around a little bit, maybe. So not John Hamm? Because he's available now. Hamm's not a terrible idea, but he's just... He's almost too good looking. Like he, he needs to get in an accident, that guy. <laughs> wow. You to talk to Mark Hamill's driver? Yeah, he needs to he needs to go, go for a, a ride with Hamill. <laughs> go for a weekend away. Um so what have you I've got some movies besides <clears throat> Desolation of Schmaug that I've seen. What what else have you been watching? She was, uh, you know, been watching. I did blaze through all of House of Cards. Oh, okay. I'm still only halfway through season two. Oh, still got a ways to go. All right, so I, I passed you on that. Okay. And you won't believe when the robots come. I can't. I have to say, now that we can talk about at least the first couple of episodes, that first or second episode. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. One of the most shocking things I've ever seen in a television show. <laughs> yes. Right? Yep. yep. Didn't you just go, oh, my God. Was not expecting and, that. Uh, and the best part of it was it was what I have been wanting to do to that character for about <laughs> a season and uh, an episode. I would have done that myself if I could have. Well, when you see when you think about what happened in that episode and where uh, the journey where the season ends, uh-huh. all the more interesting. Okay, all right, good, good reason to jump back into it. All right, uh, so you finished all that. Finished that. Uh, yeah. What else have I been watching? Uh, you know, Game of Thrones starts back up this weekend. Mm. So looking forward to that. Uh, yeah. When I see those trailers, because I don't, you know, I've, I only saw a handful of episodes from the previous season, including the wedding episode. Uh, but when I see this, some of these previews and they're like, then the last shot of the preview is like some creature, like riding a horse. Yes. It's like a blue guy with like long hair, but he's blue. Yes. Kind of, then I go, Ooh, I want to tune in this season because now it's getting interesting. You, but you can't just jump in here. Sure I can. No. Why not? It'll be too confusing. Really? Got to learn about all the houses and the whole history and the whole stuff. Fisting. And it's worth it. I, I don't know. I have to tell. Come on. I'll tell you something. Walking Dead. Yes. The the season finale, fantastic. We'll get to that in a yep. second. Okay. But I'll be honest with you. I hadn't watched it in like four weeks. I just kind of got over it. And again, I, I do not think this is a bad show. I think it's one of the best shows. On television, but sitting down to watch two or three in a row or every week, it just it's it's there's a bit of 
been there, done that with this show. And, and I'll, I'll give you my reasoning. And again, this isn't being critical of the way they put it together, the acting, the effects, all that stuff. It's all top notch and fantastic. But it's like there is no end game. There is no, you know, big Emerald City, you know, beyond the woods where men walk free and everyone eats breakfast cereals three times a day and it's everyone's got a puppy and, you know, there's no when are we going to get there sort of thing. There's no cure. So it kind of ends up just being what are we doing every day? You know, like, like collectively how everyone just doesn't decide to get up and kill each other or kill themselves is, yeah. is miracle enough. Um, so it's just it gets kind of bleak after a while. And then. See that that to me though is the appeal of it. Why? But why is that appealing? Because you know, for the rest of history, you know, everything we've seen come before mm-hmm. it, there always feels like there is some kind of solution, and it's not the sort of day to day figuring out how does this work. You know, a, you know, a year down the line, two years down the line, when there's no no one else is making more canned food right. or and no one's making more batteries or anything like that. It's like, it's really the nuts and bolts of, well, now really, what do we do? Well, I think we're going to find out at Terminus. I think that's exactly what's, what answers that question at, at, at Terminus. I mean, that don't, don't, that's, that's interesting. There's interesting, you know, ways that people can get together and try to do some gardening or let's figure out a new way to make water. And like, I don't find it fascinating though. I don't, I don't find it that interesting. I, the character interactions, put it this way. I had like four or five stacked up and I zipped through them and quite a bit of them. I fast forwarded, you know, I didn't really care about the kids. I know we got to the big revelation with the kid because she clearly was crazy you know, before, but just a lot of that back and forth and getting to know you, getting to know all about you and, you know, this bond and this bond. And, and you do want, when, when things start to kick up, well, two things, again, I've talked about this before, but the violence in it, again, it's not a violent thing. It's not like, Ooh, too much violence on TV. It's just kind of like, you know, if you're going to kill the thing, stick the arrow in its face and let it drop. I don't need you to do that and then cut its head off and kick it four times and smash the thing. It's incredibly graphic with the violence, which which it doesn't need to be at a certain point. Just bash the head and walk away. There's there's a gratuitous to it that's like you get away with it because they're zombies and they're not you know, humans where the violence is concerned, but it's hard for me to stomach sometimes because they're good people. They're just people. They're just, that guy was a school teacher and that guy worked at the gas station and that was someone's teenage daughter and you're smashing their skull in. That's kind of hard to watch after a while. Conversely, the climax that happens and what happens to Rick, which by the way, I would say, single best, maybe top two things that have happened on the show in its entire run was that moment when that, yeah. I rewound it four times. Wow. To watch, just to, but just the, if you look at, watch it again and the choreography of it, Yeah, how it's, it's a bit of a reprieve because it, it's so shocking to the people nearby that it changes the entire dynamic. And then Daryl can do what he does and she does. What she does. But the thought of this person threatening his child the way it turned him into an animal and that kind of violence yeah to me is justified it's like i understand that man being pushed and this is what he's going to do just just lopping off heads left and right i just kind of go oh man you know enough 
uh, you know, as good as the as good as the show is, you know, it's it just kind of turns me off sometimes. But that that finale I thought was absolutely spectacular. Yeah, totally. Like just just a notch above everything that was on, you know, this this season. I thought fantastic. Um, Thing though for that I felt, you know, and again, this will kind of be some spoilers if you know you're not watching it live mm-hmm. if you're waiting for the DVD, but. Uh, the interesting thing, the way they crafted this season, uh, or, or even just this this half season, uh-huh. where you know the the prison was destroyed, everyone's scattered, they're all in a different place, no one knows where anyone is, there's no communication, but then there were clues in every single episode that they were so close to each other, like it all tied back together, mm. and I thought that was really like the you know the big smokestack that you know Carol and and Tyrese see right. in the sky. That was the house that Daryl and Beth burned down. Oh, okay. You know it was all this stuff okay. that was like they were so much closer. And you know, like a zombie would be killed on the train tracks, and then someone else would come up on it. It was like, oh yeah, that was the one that they killed from there. Oh, yeah. So there was all this great interconnectivity. So what was it? Do you remember when they were when? Um, uh, Tyrese and the woman and the kids were at the house, and then suddenly there were those zombies coming from the woods that were like charred. Yeah, where were they coming from? They were coming from that burnt house. That burnt house. Okay. Yeah. Cool. No, I love all that, and just the yeah, and the terminus thing was just badass. Just yeah, just Rick like firing on all cylinders. You know, just like that, the suspicion that's there, and then just looking around the room, going. Where'd the poncho come from? And what is that? Where's the police thing? You know, boom, 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 knowing something's not right here. You can just smell it. Something ain't right. Uh, yeah. And then to tie all that back into, like, you know, the flashback with the rabbit trap of how they were herded right. down the, yes. the corridor and stuff. I mean, just really clever stuff, yeah. I thought. No, it's it's great. And those people, they, they act their faces off, you know, all of them, the regular cast and anyone that shows up on that show, they really, they really give it their all. Um, it's a great, great show. It's just, sometimes I have to take a break, <laughs> let the episodes pile up, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. okay. So some news was announced. That's kind of not necessarily shocking, but certainly a letdown for you and I, and, and certainly is making me feel old. Uh, that David Letterman is announcing his retirement 2015. It's like, like a knife to my heart. I just can't. I I can't believe that. Just makes me think of how how much of my life has been spent watching David Letterman. <laughs> yeah. How far back that goes. Yeah, totally. You know, to 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 eighty one. You know, yep. the the watching those some of those first guests back in in eighty one. Uh, but we got another year with him, right? At least. That's correct. Yeah. Unless he changes his mind again. Uh, on that note. Did you ever see the documentary uh, Johnny Carson, The King of Late Night? I think so, yeah. It's a Netflix, uh, Netflix instant if you can find it. It's really, really, really good. Uh, and man, you get to the end of that, and it's, it, is, it, is, uh, it is emotional. You got guys like Drew Carey and Gary Shandling uh, you know, getting choked up trying to talk about yeah. Johnny. And what he meant to them, and just what this show was, um, 
And Seinfeld says something brilliant. He says, you know, for the longest time, people talked about, you know, who's going to replace John? How's it going to be? And what's the next Tonight Show? And, you know, who's going to get that seat? And he said, and before, you know, until people finally realized it's that there is no Tonight Show. Like the Tonight Show's done. The Tonight Show ended with Johnny Carson. Like that, yep. that show and what that thing was ended with Johnny Carson. And, and there are other shows and other things called The Tonight Show or The Tonight Show with Jay Leno, whatever. But that vibe and what that that show did is is gone. And there'll never be another one or anything anything like it. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's a, it's a really cool cool documentary. But yeah. So Letterman will have done... He will have done 30 years on CBS, but then he did, you know, 81, right? Was it 80 or 81 on NBC late night? I think it was 81, yeah. So he did 81 to 91 or 92 yep. with NBC. So you're looking at, at the end of the day, it's going to be what? 30? It's over 6,000 hours of television. Well, it's, but if he got, if he got to CBS in 92, right? I thought it was 11 years on NBC and 22 or 23 on CBS. 22 or 23. So you're saying 2015 will have been 23 years. I think so, yeah. So add that. So 30. You're looking at almost 35 years late night television. Yeah. That's crazy. That's crazy. And his birthday is next week. Uh, he'll be 66, so I guess he'll be 67 when he leaves, which is a year older than when Johnny left. Is that it? Really, he'd be a year older than Johnny. That's what I read. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Well, wow. We'll we'll miss him. He's, uh, you know, he was always my alternative for right, everything. Yeah. But we and we as kids, we would have to stay up. You know, super late to try to watch him on a Thursday or Friday night. We still had to get up for school, you know, uh, to 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 watch him. But we talked about this. You remember the Rolling Stone cover? Oh yeah, yeah. I still have that. I think it was '85. I think. Yeah. That was kind of when things turned. When you know, people were talking about this audience that he had, and the crazy audience and the crazy cult people and everything, and that that cover sort of cemented it that this is a really really hip cool show um and he's been doing it ever since so it's interesting though because you know uh, the story broke this week and uh i was looking at like i think variety like a lot of the comments and of course it's the internet were just so hostile about you know everyone thinks he's this you know left-wing you know nut you know liberal oh my gosh yeah you know we stopped being funny 10 years ago i mean there were so many people just like wow really yeah, yeah. That's kind of fascinating. I mean, I don't know how he sort of comes off. Because, you know, the thing that, that they go into this Carson documentary is you could watch him for 30 years, and I don't think you'd necessarily know how he voted. Right. Because he pretty much riffed on everyone, on every politician, every whatever was sort of out in the news. Uh, he didn't wear it on his sleeve where he where he leaned, and I don't feel like I feel like Letterman's more liberal than than anything. Yeah, it's funny. Letterman used to be that way. I mean, it's, it's no secret. You know, Johnny was his template. You know, he he respected and worshipped mm-hmm. him. Uh, but sort it started sort of post nine eleven, and then especially once his 
once his son Harry was born, right. you started to see a different shift, and you saw him really wanting to talk to smart people. Right. And he would get both sides of it because he just wanted to talk to people. You know, he he, he didn't bash people or 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 begrudge them their their opinions. You know, he loves to talk to Bill O'Reilly. He completely respects him. He loves to, you know, to, to sort of needle him and stuff. He but. did, but there were a couple times that I, I felt bad. Like, it kind of made me cringe internally. Like, he he was trying to make a point with O'Reilly, and he really stuck it to him. And then they kind of went round and round. And unfortunately, O'Reilly knew more. Whether O'Reilly was right or wrong, he knew more of the facts than Letterman did. And he kind of left Letterman in the dust. So yeah. Dave was kind of like, well, I don't know. You're smarter than me, and I can't really, you know, I, I, I can't argue with you about this enough because you're, you know, you're smarter than me or something. But it was like he would have been a great opportunity for Letterman to lock horns with this guy, and he just didn't have enough of the facts at his fingertips uh, with with O'Reilly. So he kind of backed down, and uh, it was an interesting little bit of television. Um, but, uh, yeah, he's a smart, smart guy, so he will be he will be missed. Yep. And there, did you ever get to see that last season of the Louis C.K. show, Louis? You know, it's funny you say that. I'm, I'm, I just zipped through the first two seasons again just to catch up, and I've got the third season on Netflix Instant, and I'm, I'm about two episodes in, I think. Okay. Maybe. Uh, I mean, it's a great show. It's so, it's so brilliant. Um, slightly depressing, but very, very funny. Uh, yeah. Why does Letterman show up on it or something? Well, the the sort of overarching storyline to that season is uh, Letterman says he's going to retire, and they sort of handpick Louie to replace him. Oh, but okay. CBS has to send him to sort of this talk show school <laughs> to learn to do it, and his teacher is David Lynch. Oh, wow. Yeah, oh, and it's just crazy. Oh, i got to find that one. So, you know, of course, you know, just like we talked about with Indiana Jones, anytime someone says they may not do something, everyone's like, well, who's going to replace him? You know, so let's make our own top 10 list. And, you know, someone mentioned like, well, you know, that Louis C.K. thing hit pretty close to the mark. (laughs) So. Wow. Well, yeah. It's funny. In the in the Carson documentary, people forget, you know, he he went on. He disappeared. There were some projects that he was going to maybe work on and sort of rumored about. But he really disappeared. And the only time, the only two times he resurfaced were to make appearances on Late Show with David Letterman. That's right. Never showed up on on uh, uh, Jay Leno. The Tonight Show. Yeah, yeah, he never never made an appearance. Um, he he came he came to see Letterman because he they it's, it's there's a conflict you know within it where someone says well you know NBC never. Never had a conversation with Johnny. They never had him be an integral part of the choice of who's going to be the next thing. And Johnny was also not the kind of person that would burst into a room and go, here's who it is, and you've got to hire this person. Right. But he did say something to the effect of, you know, if you want my two cents, David Letterman is your guy. He's incredibly funny. He's very smart. He, to me, should be the next, you know, Tonight Show with with David, he he should be the guy, kind of thing. Like, okay, yeah. thanks, Johnny, thanks for your input, or whatever. And supposedly that was it. And then, of course, you know the story of all the the craziness with Jay Leno's manager and yeah. you know, planting stories and you know all that stuff. 
So that's interesting that he never never even went back to the Tonight Show to to make an appearance. He just stuck with Letterman. Yeah, yeah. But um, anyway, all these guys will be very very sorely missed. Um, what else you got going on? What else you up to? Well, that, you know, uh, we uh, we should have talked about it with Alex, but uh, the Flash costume for the the spinoff from Arrow yes. was revealed. Yes. Uh, what do you think? Did you see the pictures? I did not. Oh, okay. I suppose I could look it up right away. You could, yeah. Flash. So there was there was kind of an official picture that DC themselves put out, Warner Brothers, where he's kind of hunched over with lightning coming off him. But then, you know, they're shooting the pilot, so a ton of people have just taken pictures of the guy walking around in it. Uh, it's sort of a new 52-ish. It kind of looks like if uh, Ultimate Giant Man from Marvel and Movie Daredevil had a baby, this would be the costume. Okay. It's it's kind of a, a real rich sort of burgundy or maroon. It's on Arrow, uh, right? Well, he's it's his own show now. So, but but did it debut on Arrow? I'm, I'm trying to no. Google it. So you just say the Flash CW? Yeah, Flash. Yeah, Flash CW costume. Flash CW costume. Okay. Let's see what I can find. <clears throat> but you can certainly tell it's you know it's supposed to be the Flash. It's right. Well, yeah. A lot of people kind of wish it were a brighter color. The CBS outfit holds up pretty well, doesn't it? I think so, yeah. Oh, is it kind of uh, spangly? Is it not spangly? But am I? Am I? I think I think I see it. Is it kind of burgundy? It looks almost like Daredevil. Yes. Daredevil burgundy. Yes. Yeah. And he's out on a street corner, jumping yes, around. Yeah. Boy, that's that's interesting. That's interesting. Wow, it doesn't jump out as the flash to me it's not terrible right um it just kind of it's cool it's it's cool looking it's just it doesn't seem like the flash to me maybe that's the point yeah but it doesn't um it, i just feel like it needs to be a darker red not a burgundy like like a a brighter red, but it, 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 you can keep it dark, but it needs to be more red, don't you think? Yeah. This looks very, very burgundy. I mean, you know, the, and again, I don't know what the pilot is, what they're doing, how the tone they're setting with the show. You know, it, it would make sense on Arrow because a lot of that takes place at night and it's very dark. But I get the sense the Flash is going to be, you know, in the daytime and stuff. So... Mm -hmm. You might want to be a little brighter. <laughs> so, but I don't know. I, I'm very curious to see it. I love Arrow. What they've been doing on that show has been amazing. You know, just the other week they had the whole Suicide Squad on. There's a little Easter egg with Harley Quinn mm. in the show. Mm. I mean, just super fun stuff. So, uh, I'll, I'll certainly be tuning in to Flash. Well, that's good. Because you're a big you're a big DC guy. You're a big Flash guy, right? That's correct. I was never a DC guy. I was never, There's still time. Well, I just don't. Um, I don't. I don't dislike them. You know, I like Batman and I like bits of Superman and other characters and stuff. But I just have always, always, always been a Marvel kid. And when you, I just with the the way they're doing these movies and the oh, the ins and outs and the way they planned them and the Easter eggs and the, it's it's everything that we've wanted since we were kids. You know, reading these these books and characters jumping from book to book and 
it's all there. It's just. Uh, are you are you staying up to date on Agents of Shield? I am uh, two one and a half episodes behind. I'm halfway through the second Bill Paxton episode. Okay. And then the other one just recorded, which I think leads right up to Captain America. I think. I think that's sort correct. Of. So I'd have to go back. And the thing is, the show is not working. You know, it's not it's not terrible, but it's 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 clearly not working, and it's not getting the ratings. And I think part of it is the characters and just the casting choices. I think it likes getting better though. It feels like they're tinkering with it and trying they are, to, but you could lose you know, tie it more in to the actual universe. You're getting some actual super people in it. Yeah, but and it's not just sort of totally lose that twelve year old girl that you know looks at the internet. You could lose the twelve year old girl with the with the British accent and the the egg face. Uh, whatever the hell she's supposed to be doing, you could lose the Scottish kid, like lose half the the, the embryos that are on this show. <laughs> this is supposed to be freaking Shield, like it's supposed to be like this kick-ass black ops, CIA, FBI, you know, black ops, Illuminati shit or whatever, all rolled into one. The best of the best of the best. Chop chop. Let's get moving. It shouldn't be about like, oh, I made you a sandwich. You know, be sure to take the sandwich with you today. Like, I don't want to see any of that stuff. These Shield suddenly doesn't seem like such a badass organization to me. With they got to eat though. With some of the characters they've got flitting around in this show. So and they're boring. I can see why people aren't aren't really tuning in because it's 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 boring. And you know, you need color. the reason that Coulson works so well in the movies that he's been in, in the short time that he's been there, he is dry and deadpan and he does a great job, but everybody that surrounds him is, is, is ultra colorful and bouncing off the walls. Tons of, even Thor, you know, him walking with Thor, it's like Thor is larger than life. And then Coulson is that deadpan, whatever. Well, you know, he's surrounded by uninteresting, dull characters on this show. And it kind of diminishes Coulson to me. You know, it's it needs it needs like a, a an overhaul or something, a revamp. But there's good stuff in there. But it's just the characters are just boring. I don't care about any of them. You know. Yeah, but I, I appreciate that. It seems like they're at least sort of hearing the feedback and trying to ratchet things up a bit. Yeah, well, could, I don't, I agree. They're not quite there yet, but they could be too late. You, you can tell they're trying. Too little, too late. Too much, too little, too late. Um. Music, toys, let's talk about this. Have you gotten any new toys lately? Uh, I have got some new toys. I just got the new wave of uh, Outer Space Men. Yes. The Four Horsemen. Yes. Uh, with the, the human people in it. Yes. Jack Asteroid and Terra Firma. Uh, they're awesome. Nice. Um, what else have I got? I got the another wave of Walking Dead, that new wave with like Tyrese and Maggie and Glenn. Yes. Those guys. Um, I think that's it. I got the unnamed one, the little uh, the sub figure, the unnamed from uh, Masters of the Universe. What's the unnamed one? He's the big bad behind everything. He's the the ultimate uh, evil in the universe. I don't know what that is. It's it's a regular size action <laughs> figure kind of thing. It is a regular size action figure. Uh-huh. It turns out it's an evil trollium. Which is what Orko was. He was a trollium? Trollian. A trollian. Yes. Wow. So so the the big bad evil is yes. is another guy just like Orko? 
Yes. Wow. But not not goofy. Slightly anticlimactic. If it's a if it's a trollian. I, I if it's a big if it's a big bad guy, it should be a ten foot tall, you know, big ass monster dude that could crush your skull with his eyeball. Not a not a trollian. That seems kind of a letdown to me. Well, okay. Maybe not a it's the sneak attack. Right, the old the old sneak attack. Uh, okay, did I ever tell you that I got my I finally got my Ghostbusters rifle? Oh no, you did. Terrific. Yes, I finally got it. It went. It was a whole back and forth. Yeah. Uh, and you know, it's wonderful, and and it's it's cool, and it makes some cool sounds. Uh, but I have to say, to be critical, I must I must say this, and I don't know how these things get made or what goes into it necessarily because I don't work at Mattel, but. Um, I've got a uh, a replica of Nick Fury's needle gun that uh, I think was it Master Replicas made these things. Oh yeah, I forget. It weighs about two or three pounds. It is metal. The handle you know looks like ivory, but it's like plastic. You 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 hit a button in the handle and the magazine pops out, which is where the batteries go. So it kind of feels like there's a magazine there. You press another button, which makes a power-up sound, and then when you pull the trigger it, in the barrel, it lights up red, and uh, it makes one sound, this sort of, you know, needle gun sound, you know, whatever it is. This thing retailed for like 70 bucks, 75 bucks, limited to, I think, 500 pieces. But how long ago was that? Mm, five years ago, maybe? Okay. Something like that? And it's beautiful. It's absolutely a beautiful, beautiful replica. The Ghostbusters thing is cool, and it's like, oh my god, I finally got a Ghostbusters proton wand. Can you believe it? This actually happened. But there's like one piece of metal on the entire thing. It's a $140 replica, and it doesn't have the weight or the heft in any way that something like this does, which, right. which is cheaper and... Um, would, would logically be more expensive because they made fewer of them than I'm sure were made of the Ghostbusters thing. So, um, yeah, just a, just an observation that um, would have been nice if it was a little more, you know, movie replica type. You know, it had a little more, little more heft to it. But now that you have it, does Bustin make you feel good? Um, it doesn't. It, it doesn't. It doesn't. It does because okay. uh, the, the switches are kind of fun. Um, I don't love – it's really nitpicky, but like when I think of the – you know, like when the, the sound starts in Ghostbusters, you only get a smidgen of that before you get all the – and the thing starts vibrating and bouncing around and stuff. You don't get to really hear the full effect of the, the proton blast that you did in the, in the film. So it's cool, it's cool, but it's you know I'm hoping it's kind of the last of this stuff because 130, 140 bucks for one of these things is a lot of money. And the and the the goggles were like 80 bucks, and the the other thing, the Egon's thing was like 60 or 70 bucks. These are expensive yeah. items. Yeah. Uh, so I'm kind of hoping this is it for, for Ghostbusters. <laughs> but uh, but I did finally get it, and they took back. Their battle cat, which nice. how they could have mixed that up, but they did. Um, uh, let's see. I picked up Star Wars Black. I found Bespin Luke, and I found the regular Stormtrooper. Where'd you find those? The ones black. Uh, where did I find them? 
I asked you first. I found Bespin Luke at, I think at Target, and I found Stormtrooper, regular Stormtrooper at Toys R Us. Oh, okay. Um, My Target's still loaded with Greedo and Slave Leia, so I don't have much hope of yeah. finding them anytime soon. He may be floating around in there somewhere. Uh, what else did I pick up? You know what I found? You know those. I kind of I got a soft spot for those five points of articulation Marvel figures. Oh yeah, yeah. You know they're just kind of fun. They're just you know I don't know. It might, some of the like the Ultimate Spider-Man ones they remind me of Pocket Heroes from way back. Right. Ego used to do. Uh, yeah. So I found a couple of new Ultimate Spideys. One is Spidey. I think it's called. It might even be called just Ultimate Spider or Super Duper Spidey or something. And then the other one is the Green Goblin. The, a version of the Green Goblin is depicted in the Ultimate Animated Series. Oh, right. Yep. So that's a brand new figure. Uh, I found Mysterio. Uh, oh, good. The Marvel Universe thing that I couldn't find anywhere. Yep. Finally found him, uh, which is a really cool figure. Uh, found him at Golden Apple of all places. And Golden Apple, um, this is a fun little old school thing that I found. You've seen those things that... Um, well, like Pocket Press or somebody puts out where they do like a little, uh, little let's say a little figurine of Spider-Man. You know, it's like two inches tall on a base. And it comes, or yeah, they do it for Doctor Who too. A Dalek that uh, makes a sound, let's say. Uh, it's about two inches tall. And then it comes in a little box. And in the box is also a little 25-page paperback book that gives you the history of Doctor Who. Okay. You usually see him just as you're checking out at like Barnes and Noble or something, you'll see them on the counter. I mean, they have one now that's like a real replica of Downton Abbey that lights up okay. inside the box is, a, is also a little booklet that talks about Downton Abbey. Um, well, I was at the comic shop and they had a little box and it was, um, uh, Sherman, Mr. Sher Sherman and, uh, Mr. Peabody. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, the originals. And they're, they're about two inches tall. They're little bendy figures look just like the cartoon and comes with a little little hit book on the history of Sherman and Peabody. Uh, I couldn't help myself. They were so cool. So uh, I, I snatched those up. And nice. um, uh, my, my, my Battle of the Planets uh, laser rifle uh, finally showed up, as I, as I mentioned, through, yep. after two and a half months. Got that. And... Oh, I found the – there's another set of Marvel Legends. Uh, there's a Red Skull that's out. It comes with the Cosmic Cube. Yeah. And then there's like a Hydra Soldier or an AIM Soldier kind of thing. Yeah, the Cap there's there's two waves out right now. There's a Captain America wave and a Spider-Man wave. Yeah. And you build the, the Mandroid in the Captain America, and you build that ultimate uh, Green Goblin in the Spider-Man. Right. Wave. I found the um, – <clears throat> Red Skull figure. Okay. Haven't found the the Hydra or anything, but I've got all of them except for Black Widow now. Oh really? Yeah. I think I just saw her today somewhere. Oh. Huh. I wish I'd known that. I, I think I saw her today. Today or yesterday? I would have done that. I would have grabbed that for you. Well, if you see her again, she's a tough tough one to find. All right. Uh, and speaking of toy stuff, real quick, uh, worth mentioning, Mego Meat. Number 10 yes. is coming up in June. Yes. 
first weekend in June, like the 6th and 7th, again at the Kruger Street Toy and Train Museum yes. in good old Wheeling, West Virginia. Are you going? I'm not. I wish I was. Have you been? I have not been. Oh, you should go. I wish they were doing this back when I lived in West Virginia. Well, then I know, because they, they've got all these amazing <clears throat> customs. Yeah, oh, I know. I always drool over the pictures every year. Have you ever been? I have not been, but I've, I've, uh, uh, I think I've picked up two or three different exclusive figures from Ego Mies. Uh The most recent being the Snyderman from last year, yep. from the the catalogs, the character from those catalogs. Yeah, amazing figure. Uh, that's cool. Um, Last probably last thing to kind of get to is some music. I've been getting back into. I take these breaks and I stack up albums and box sets and stuff, uh, and then I eventually get to it and load it in and start driving around listening to this stuff that's been sitting around for months. Um, but I also picked up. Um, so you're just like driving aimlessly, listening to things. Just, yeah, I just I just put a line go from town to town, like on, tie a brick, Bill Bixby, tie a brick to the gas pedal and just. Just let my arms go and just see where the car takes me. Um, first is a band called Elbow. Um, it's their new record called The Takeoff and Landing of Everything, and it's brilliant. If you like Elbow, they're kind of a moody, um, but, but, but you know, kind of pop. You know, there's some hooks, but it's, it's, it's more moody and a little quieter. They're kind of a, a kinder, gentler radiohead, I guess is the best way to, to put it about them. Okay. Uh, and but even better, Neil Finn, my my good old buddy Neil Finn, his, his new solo record, uh, not Crowded House, not Split Ends, not the other projects he does. This is his solo record called Dizzy Heights. For those of you who don't know who he is, you probably best know him as the lead singer songwriter for Crowded House, band that you know should have been one of the biggest bands on the planet when they were around, but also the song of the Lonely Mountain. From uh, Hobbit One. That's right. That was a big, uh, big part of that movie. But didn't you also say if people don't know who he is, they can't be your friend? Yes, I did say that. Okay. I did say that. Well, I should par- clarify that. It's not that if you don't know who he is, you can't be my friend. If you don't know who he is, it's fine. If you find out who he is and you for some reason hate him uh, completely, then we can't be friends. I see. Okay, that's what yes. it was. So. Maybe this episode will be, I'll be cleaning house. <laughs> Perfect. On the old FB. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's a wonderful record. Uh, there are bits of his entire career in there. You can hear um, his voice sounds fantastic. There's some moody and experimental tracks on there as well. But for the most part, it, and it's getting, you know, four or five star reviews across the board. So it's getting a great response. And, um, you can't go wrong. Downloaded for ten bucks, you cannot go wrong. I also right. that, uh, did we talk about the Peter Gabriel one? You're a Peter Gabriel fan, right? I am. Yes. You know this project he did called "Scratch My Back, I'll Scratch Yours," where he basically uh, put oh yeah yeah put together the cover a list of artists he wanted to cover, and it, t- it took ages because to get all the schedules lined up and everything else. So he covers you know ten, eleven, twelve tracks each by a different artist. And then they return the favor on the other disc by covering the Peter Gabriel song. Um, but it took a long time to finish the project because of the, 
the touring and the time frames for all these people. So it's it's interesting. You got people like Lou Reed and Arcade Fire and and um, you know Paul Simon and various other artists covering his his songs in a very different way. And then of course he does things in a very different way uh, yeah. by covering certain people. So it's okay, but he's starting to kind of put me to sleep these days, unfortunately. But uh, but yeah, I'm gonna get back into a lot of the music stuff. There's a lot of stuff that's brewing the next few months, so I'll be talking more and more about that. But there's a good chunk of stuff to get you guys out there eating. One more thing I want to mention just quickly, and uh, I'll I'll let it sort of do the talking itself. But uh, there's another kind of convention coming up that's kind of different called Spectrum Fantastic Art Live Three, okay. which will be. Um, in May, May 9th through 11th. It's in Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, Kansas. Uh, it is tied to the publication Spectrum, uh, which is where they compile the best fantasy and science fiction art for the year. Okay. Uh, Arnie and Kathy Fenner are the ones who, who uh, have curated that all these many years. Well, they're doing a convention where uh, it's just all the sort of the best in fantasy art. It's painting, it's illustration, it's sculpture it's just everything okay. and i did a, a pretty lengthy uh podcast interview with arnie this past week that i'll put a link up to in the show notes that will tell you everything about the show but you know he knows just about everyone in the industry i mean there's going to be a ton of guys there tim bruckner wayne barlow uh, uh frank cho is going to be there uh just uh, like dozens and dozens of people and just you're going to get to interact and learn stuff and buy stuff and uh, it's just it's a really interesting, different kind of show than just a you know like San Diego Comic Con or, or something like that. So, huh. but it's you know it's in the middle of the country, you know uh, it's it's gonna you're just gonna be able to walk right up and talk to these people. And are you going with it? Uh, I'm trying to, yeah. Oh, nice. Have you, yeah, I'm trying to get that together. Have, so, have, you, been, I, I have you been before? I have not. Oh, no, okay. this is only the third one. So, oh, cool. but I'm gonna kind of do a series of podcasts with the people that are involved in it, the artists and, and the people putting it on. So uh, there'll be more of those to come, but you know, Arnie's the one that, that sort of started it all. And he's fascinating, you know, because not only is he a fan of that, he is, uh, you know, he, he creates that sort of thing himself uh, for like book covers. And he, you know, worked for Hallmark for many years and stuff. So he's been in this art world uh, for, for many decades. So, uh, and just a great guy to talk to fascinating fellow. So, Wow, that's uh, very would, cool. Yeah, so I'll put up the 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 link so you can listen to that and and make your plans to go to Spectrum Fantastic Art Live Three. Spectrum Spectrum Fantastic Art Live Three. Yes. Uh, say that fast ten times. Spectrum I'm not gonna. Art Live Three. Uh, very nice. I would like to close the episode, if I may, uh, in tribute to someone that we lost just recently. Um, that certainly meant a lot to me, and I think he meant a lot to you as well. The great screenwriter Lorenzo Semple Jr. Uh, yes. passed away last week at 91, the ripe age of 91. Uh, sharp, sharp as attack. He 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 did some some stuff on YouTube up to a, a few years ago with his wife, where they would review movies, <laughs> current movies, yep. uh, and you know, salty as as hell. But Lorenzo Semple Jr. was a, a writer uh, in Hollywood for for years. He he did some you know, we don't have to get into his whole career, but he did some stuff. And then the next thing that he was sort of um, 
became best known for but was the most consistent work for him at a certain point in the 60s was the Batman TV series in 1966. And he really, you know, he, he, I don't think it can be overstated ever just what that guy did for the tone of that show. Love it or hate it, but what he did for the tone of that show to ride that uh, wave, and he did it again similarly uh, for King Kong, the De Laurentiis King Kong, which most people remember as just being a, a pile of crap. But he he was able to take a genre and and give it love, poke fun at it, but give it love at the same time. You never felt like he was just you know pissing all over Batman and Robin and those characters. There was right. definitely a love there, but it was a very specific thing that they were trying to do, and it was also it hadn't really been done before, you know. Yeah. The way they were they were trying to do it, um, so he did it. But but for me, uh, of course, more importantly, he wrote the screenplay for Flash Gordon, the right. nineteen eighty movie, which is such a distinct animal that it doesn't. I always say that movie doesn't look like any other movie. It doesn't feel like any other genre movie, and everyone knows his his script and his bits of dialogue that. Our um, iconic, uh, iconic camp, you know, campy line, you know, Flash, I, I love you, but we only have 14 hours to save the Earth, you know. Yes. And, and there's a handful like that that are brilliant, brilliant, brilliant uh, comic lines. But he also, you know, treated the the characters and, and the the setting with a certain amount of reverence and and heaviness too. When he when he has Ming, you know, say some very threatening things or the violence and stuff. So he to walk that line between, you know, a little bit of camp and humor uh, and dread at the same time, I think was a very difficult thing to pull off, uh, and and to to try to take comic book efforts or larger than life efforts seriously, and not right. just treat them like cartoons. And I think he did that. I mean. I think, don't you think that? I mean, Batman's more of a cartoon than Flash Gordon was, but right. I still feel like there was love and affection there. Totally, yeah. You know, he was the one that was like, we will never see Batman committing a crime. He'll never do anything. Mm-hmm. You know, that sort of thing. He was the one that, you know, put the 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 biff, the bang, the zap, and the pow mm-hmm. uh, when they fought. Uh, he was the one that came up with Robin saying, holy whatever. Right. Uh, you know, all that stuff can be attributed to him, yeah. like setting that tone. Well, I was fortunate enough to have worked with a woman a few years ago that she worked on a show that I worked on, and she became friendly with Lorenzo Semple Jr., and actually was the person that filmed those YouTube uh, shorts where he and his wife would review movies. Oh, okay. This woman I knew, you know, would shoot him. And I, I don't know what day it was or how long into the show we got to talking about the toy company and then Flash Gordon and she's like, Oh my goodness, I'm friends with Lorenzo Simple oh my gosh. So I eventually got her uh our retro eight inch Flash Gordon and Ming action figures to give them to Lorenzo. Oh wow. And he she said he just freaked out. He couldn't believe it. He was like, What are these? And he, <laughs> at first he thought he's like, Did these come out? Are these old when the movie? And she said, no, these are brand new. This, this friend of mine is doing brand new. He was just flabbergasted that there was a, a, a love for this movie. I don't think he really understood that there were people out there that, that really had an affection for this movie. Right, um, right. 
and he, he, he then came back to her and said, well, he wants to sign something for you. And I, so I said, okay. So I gave her a, a extra Flash Gordon. And he signed. He was very careful. He didn't want to sign on the artwork, so he kind of signed in the margin. <laughs> okay. You know, best of luck. Thank you so much, Jason. You know, Lorenzo Semple Jr., writer of Flash Gordon. It was like kind of went down the length of the the card, but it, it's up in my display case with my other Flash Gordon stuff. So. That's, oh, that's great. That was pretty cool. But uh, yeah. But he's he was one of a kind. You can say that about his writing and his assignments and he will be sorely missed. His type will be sore. Somebody, somebody made a great analogy about the way he, he walked that line of just what we're talking about. And somebody said, it's what, it's what it feels like Seth MacFarlane wants to do or tries to do, but it's too heavy handed most of the time. Okay. He could take a page out of Lorenzo Semple Jr.'s book and the way he, you know, he, he handled it. He also, you know, co-wrote, I think he co-wrote Three Days of the Condor. That's correct. Yeah, and yeah. and uh, either the Parallax View, All the President's Men, or the Parallax View. He, he wrote some early '70s shit that was really iconic stuff. Um, yeah. So he was he was a great writer. But anyway, sorry to wax on about it, but it's a big big part of our childhood. So totally, absolutely. Uh, farewell, Lorenzo. Yes, Godspeed. Sir. Rest in peace. Um, so there you go. There's a there's a nice. 70, 80, 90 minute episodes Indeed. to chew on. And uh, we'll make it more regular in the future if we can. Uh, I'm sure you're all still recovering from episode 100, so. Right, that's right, yeah. You know, you're really just getting around to this, so. Enjoy. Enjoy indeed, and we'll talk at you soon. Thanks, everybody. Shiny. Let's be bad guys. Secrets of nature's deepest mystery.